welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. It is now Husky football season. The rain has come. The sun has gone. It feels like football in the Pacific Northwest, and I am here for it. The dogs have a big game at home on Friday night against the Oregon State Beavers, and the Ducks uh, have a bye week this week uh, against Colorado. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> should be should be a great weekend for both teams, but uh, my name is Warren. I am the dog. With me, as always, is my co-host Mark. He is the duck. Mark, how you doing, my friend? I'm I'm doing great, Warren. Love this time of year when we get football on the weekends. We get a little World Series sprinkled in during the week to kind of get us to the next weekend. And uh, first CFP poll released today, Oregon sitting there at number eight. So there's at least a little bit of like, can we keep the dream alive? Even though, you know, I can, I can talk myself out of that pretty quickly. So I'm, I'm feeling great on this, this Tuesday night. What is the dream? Yeah. You know, the dream is like to just keep winning, keep playing and keep winning. Like, you know, be the last team standing. Just go one and zero every week, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can we can get into that more. I'm I, I'm okay. sure we'll talk about the CFP ranking because I have I have mixed feelings about this, but we, we can okay. talk about that. Well, let's go ahead and we'll since the the Huskies had a bye this past weekend, not a lot to report on. We'll preview the Oregon State game and talk a little bit about what uh, we might be looking forward to as we think about this last four game stretch for the dogs but let's talk about this past weekend Uh, a week after the california bears played the washington huskies uh they faced the oregon ducks Uh, mark break down the the you know the outcome of this uh oregon ducks shellacking of uh the california bears well, you know, on paper, it was a shellacking in terms of final score of 42 to 24. And, and that final score isn't really indicative of, of what, what, how close the outcome was towards the end. Uh, the Cal added a couple touchdowns in the fourth to kind of make it a little more respectable. But it was a close game for much of the first half. Ducks trailed three to nothing at the end of the first quarter. It was 10 to seven uh, in favor of Cal midway through the second quarter. And then Oregon kind of pieced things together. And and what they did, Warren, has been something that has kind of defined this team this year, which is dominating the middle eight. Are you familiar with this term? It, I am. And it's something that Coach DeBoer has spoken about a lot this year. Yeah, this is something that I it kind of feels like a, the new wave of coaches are kind of recognizing that right. there's this critical time of the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And if you can kind of dominate that stretch, it can really swing a game, especially if you score in such a way that you don't leave any time for your opponent at the end of the half. And then if you can get the ball by deferring on the coin toss Mm -hmm. to start the second half, you can potentially kind of go up by two scores. Oregon has done that in unbelievable fashion in pretty much every game this year outside of, outside of their loss to start the season. And it was the same way against Cal. This game went from 10 to seven Cal with about five minutes to go to 28 to 10 Oregon, three minutes into the second half. I mean, it was about a six and a half minute stretch there Mm. for Oregon scored. They intercept Cal, they score again, they get the ball to start the second half, they score again. And it just felt like the game ended. I mean, it felt like Cal, any sense that 
Cal had of kind of winning some sort of low scoring grudge match, which they kind of have a history of doing. We talked about last week mm-hmm. uh, that just went out the window in that, that six and a half minutes. And that's been a trademark of, of the Dan Lanning era thus far with Oregon. So a really impressive stretch to turn an otherwise kind of lackluster game into a bit of a blowout. Yeah. Mark, we talked about a few, several weeks ago, we talked about the athletics top 100 uh, transfer portal players that came out before the season started. Notably, Michael Penix was not on the list. They, you know, they created an updated one in which uh, Penix was included on the list. But Bo uh, Nix was included on the original as well as the updated version. And he has got to be one of the greatest transfer additions in the history of Oregon football. Yeah, gosh, I don't even know uh, who else would be on that list off the top of my head. I mean, I'd have to really give that some, some thought as far as a transfer coming in and having this kind of uh, immediate impact in, in such a dramatic way. I mean, I, I don't even know that there's anyone else in the same neighborhood. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> you talked about your, you talked about your dreams, but certainly all of your wildest dreams about Bo Nix have come true. Oh, a hundred. I wasn't even dreaming about this from Bo. I mean, my dream for Bo Nix was that he would kind of be a game manager on a team that would have a really good running game mm-hmm. and a really good defense mm-hmm. and that he would kind of do j- just enough to win um, that he would maybe be a little less physical version of Jeremiah Masoli on Oregon's Rose Bowl team in, mm-hmm. in 2009. And that was, that, that has not been the case. I mean, he has been an elite quarterback and in this game, he threw for over 400 yards, three touchdown passes, three touchdown runs now seems to be kind of lingering around fifth in most Heisman polls. I don't really think he'll he'll climb much beyond that because I think uh, the guys who are generally in that top two or three are guys that end up playing for national championships or at least getting their teams to the playoff. Uh, but he's having, uh, yeah, a season that continues to just blow away my my expectations, and this was another example. What do you think it is that he is doing this year or bringing to the table for this Oregon Ducks team that nobody saw in previous years? You know, one of the things that came up uh, last week during the UCLA game that Brock Heward, former Husky great, uh, he brought Mm -hmm. up on his analysis is that uh, uh, when Bo Nix worked with Kenny Dillingham as his offensive coordinator at Auburn, that offense was really run by Gus Malzahn and everything went through Gus Malzahn who was Auburn's head coach at the time right and there wasn't really a lot of room for the quarterback to kind of go off script everything was kind of prescribed by Malzahn well when Dillingham got together with Knicks and they started installing the offense they essentially decided that every single play Knicks would ultimately have the final call meaning if Knicks didn't like the look he could audible into a different play and that essentially every play that they call has like a plan B, which is if you don't like the look, Mm -hmm. you audible into this. Um, And so that demands a whole lot more from the quarterback because now Mm -hmm. essentially they've got to, they've 
they've got to know the whole playbook inside and out and know not only what the play is called, but what the counterplay would be. If the, but if you watch Bo, especially over the last few games, you see that he is constantly looking at the front, seeing how the coverage is arrayed, moving guys around, getting guys into position. And, and Heward was really good about pointing this out during the UCLA game of saying, okay, this is an example of Nick's doesn't like what he's seeing. He's going to change to something else. Mm-hmm. And then you would, you know, maybe they run a screen pass instead of a, instead of a run, or maybe they run a draw play instead of a pass. And it just seems like coach and quarterback are so in sync there. And I, I mean, I guess the, the only way to chalk it up is to just say nobody's ever empowered Nick's to be this kind of an on-field leader. Mm-hmm. And it's given him such a boost of confidence that it's affected the entire way that he's played. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that kind of a system works well when you've got a fifth year quarterback with multiple years of starting experience. He's been through the ringer. He's studied the game long enough. This is the perfect kind of offensive system for a more mature player like Nick's. Uh, so let's, let's kind of scope back uh, a little bit towards the game. Uh, you know, there were obviously that eight minute window really, you know, catapulted Oregon to the win. Are there any concerns for you coming out of this game against Cal? Is there, are there any chinks in the armor that you feel like Oregon needs to shore up if they're going to be able to accomplish their goals? Well, I think if, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think there's things that you could find. This game, they scored 42 points. They also had three drives inside the 15-yard line that they failed to score on. So they had they got mm. stopped on fourth down multiple times, which is something they, they pretty much haven't happened to them all year. So they got stopped on fourth down multiple times. Uh, Nix did throw an interception down near the goal line. He tried to fit it into a tight window, actually kind of hit the receiver in his hands, but it was grabbed away by a defensive back. So that was three different drives that they came away with nothing, Mm -hmm. which was kind of similar to uh, the scare that they had against Washington State earlier in the year. If you remember that entire first half, Oregon was driving into the red zone and then stalling or having to settle for field goals or or whatever it was. And and that almost cost them the game. So I would say on on the offensive side and and obviously Georgia was the biggest example of this, right, where the whole story of that game from an offensive perspective was they were getting first downs, but they weren't getting points they they didn't finish any of the drives in that game so if I'm looking for kind of a chink to say what could show up last month of the season mm-hmm. finishing drives in the red zone would be the the biggest concern offensively I think uh from a defensive standpoint the biggest concern kind of coming into this game is that their third down defense had been atrocious and then they did manage to stop Cal five times in a row to start the game on third down so that was a little bit of a, of a bright spot that maybe they're figuring some things out. But also, we both know Cal's offense just isn't that great. Um, right. And so, you know, there's not much that can be drawn from the defensive performance against Cal or next week against Colorado. It's go- the, the real test for them is going to be, can they get off the field against Michael Penix and against Cam Rising? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I would say that still is the concern, especially with a secondary that has improved but still, you know, can give up some big chunk plays at, at inopportune times. So, so there's, there's kinks there. This is not a, this is not a perfect team. This is not a team that, you know, is, is without flaw. Uh, but this is a game where they didn't play particularly well and still won 
in very convincing fashion. And so that that has to be satisfying for Oregon fans after the way that Oregon has struggled to deal with, with Cal in the last few years. So looking ahead to Colorado, is there any storyline that compels you at all in this matchup? Oh gosh. I don't know about that. I mean, Oregon's uh, one of their best defensive backs. Christian Gonzalez is a transfer from Colorado uh, which is the type of thing that like gets noted by the announcers early in the game. You know, he knows right. a lot of these guys, uh, but I don't yeah. know that that's like this big storyline, you know? Um, I, I mean, let's be honest, Colorado is the worst team in the PAC 12. Mm-hmm. They're, they're one and seven on the year. Oregon is seven and one on the year. Oregon is favored by 31 and a half points last I saw. So <laughs> anything other than a convincing win by Oregon would just be, a red flag and right. you know if i mean it it's the only game left on the schedule that i would just mark down as a w right now for the ducks i mean if they, if they can't put away colorado something went terribly wrong <laughs> like yeah right. Uh, right so i i think it should be an opportunity for some younger guys mm-hmm. to, to play and and i think the thing there is to watch is in most of oregon's kind of blowout wins this year whether it was byu or stanford or arizona or cal there's been a lot of backdoor points. There's been a lot of garbage time mm-hmm. offense for the opposing teams. And so that's one of the things I'm looking for is if, if, if we put in, you know, the second and third string secondary with a commanding lead and they're playing most of the second half, are they able to kind of put the clamps down or are they just kind of giving up yards and points that allow Colorado to make it look a little more respectable? Cause that's kind of been the story for Oregon. Right. This year. Yeah. Yeah. Now I could see them being up 42 to 10 and then, you know, maybe Colorado gets an extra touchdown at the end. That's, you know, meaningless, but it seems like, you know, the, the, the California game, not really much intrigue. They did what they were expected to do this upcoming game, not much intrigue. They're going to do what they're expected to do. So let's talk about a game that really is a pretty, evenly matched game and that is between my Washington Huskies and as we have come to call them on the show the plucky Oregon State Beavers Um, and uh, they're they're the Oregon State Beavers come into this weekend's matchup ranked number 23 in the nation six and two Um, and they've had a very impressive season thus far Mark, maybe just kind of uh, break down what you've seen from the Oregon State Beavers, the in-state rivals, uh, as you've been able to observe them throughout the season. Yeah, I haven't been able to catch them as much as I as much as I wish I would have. But uh, the bit that I've seen, I mean, they're they've got to be one of the most physical teams mm-hmm. in in the Pac-12. They're one of the best defensive teams in the Pac-12. You know, when they played USC they gave all sorts of problems to Caleb Williams and those USC receivers, you know, um, one of the most explosive offenses in the conference and and the Beavers just locked them down and probably should have won that game if their own offense didn't commit so many, so many turnovers, Uh, but their defense certainly played well enough to win that game. So I think that's to me is kind of the outside objective fan. That's the most interesting angle to me is, do the beaver you know the beavers 
secondary is probably the strength of their team, they're going to, they're going to face a really, really good receiving core and a really good quarterback. So can they, you know, frustrate Michael Penix to any degree, like they did Caleb Williams, uh, that's going to be their ticket to success. If the Beavers have any sort of success, uh, but that game against USC was in Corvallis. Mm-hmm. This game is in Seattle. So how, how do the Beavers respond playing in a hostile road environment where early in the game, there's probably going to be a few critical plays that go Washington's way. That's really going to get that crowd energized. And it'll be interesting to see if, if the Beavers can kind of keep their composure in that environment. Well, absolutely. The Huskies are coming off of a bye. They're five and zero at home. And according to Coach DeBoer, this is the healthiest the team has been since he arrived to the University of Washington. So uh, looking at the starting lineup this week, this is the starting lineup that everybody anticipated at the beginning of the season. And for the first time all year, we have the starting lineup that we think belongs, you know, deserves to be the starting lineup, which means that all of our players are healthy. They're ready for this game. And, um, you know, they've they've had time to prepare for this Friday night game, which they didn't really have that same amount of preparation against UCLA on the road. And uh, they're entering into the final stretch. They have Oregon State. Then they face Oregon, Colorado, Washington State. So three of the four northwest teams in these last four games and in many ways the season and all of their goals are still in front of them if they can win out over these next four games even if they can win three out of the next four games i think most husky fans would be very very satisfied with a nine and three season in kaylin devore's first year coming off a four and eight with the Jimmy Lake fiasco. Um, and these are two really, you know, well-coached teams. Coach John, Jonathan Smith finally has a defense to go along with his creative uh, offensive attack. Um, you know, this, this defense is holding teams to 22.8 points per game, which is just behind Utah and third in the Pac-12. I, I mean, I'm just thinking of the – I can't remember the last time that Oregon State had a top three defense. Um, so that's that's impressive. Certainly not during the Jonathan Smith era of, of the team. Um, but interestingly, Mark, the Beavers announced earlier today that reserve quarterback uh, Ben Goldbranson will remain the starting quarterback um, – for this game and they just pretty much said that what they're seeing from Goldbranson they like better than than you know previous starting quarterback Chance Nolan so I don't know if this bodes well for the Huskies he's averaging uh less than 200 yards passing a game but five touchdowns three interceptions um but Certainly they there's some continuity that they're wanting to keep going with, you know, with this team right now. Yeah. I know that uh, my sense was that the fan base was kind of out on Nolan when he, I mean, his um, both, both his USC and his Utah games 
were really rough. You know, uh, several interceptions. I think he threw multiple pick sixes against Utah. So, you know, the only two losses that they've had, he played really, really poorly. So I think the thinking is, well, we're not going to get much worse than that by by throwing in the backup. But that's another area where me as as an objective fan, where I would say, eh, I, I don't like the idea of, you know, this backup quarterback with less experience coming into a hostile environment and, and, and out-dueling a high-powered Washington offense mm-hmm. like in a shootout, which is which is kind of what they'd have to do. So uh, I, I think it puts even more pressure on that Oregon State defense to try to carry the weight, especially early, to keep the Beavers in the game while, while the offense kind of has some figuring out to do. Mark, I put together three questions that yeah. I think will define this game on Friday. And the first one is – Will these Oregon State Beaver defensive backs, plus the rain, be able to stop Michael Penix? And I think it's important to to make note of the rain because yes. Yes. Michael Penix is a Florida boy. He did spend the bulk of his college career at Indiana University, but because of his injury history there, he didn't play a lot of uh, you know, poor weather games. So he comes into this game, every game this, that he's played at home this year has been fair weather and he's put up monster numbers. This is going to be a test, just the weather for uh, Michael Penix to be able to be able to continue to spin it and get that uh, ball in a, in a place where the receivers can really get two hands on, on the ball. And then like you mentioned, these Oregon State Beaver defensive backs have been very effective this year against the pass, most notably in the home game against USC and another Heisman candidate, Caleb Williams, who um, really struggled in that game against Oregon State, probably his worst game of the year offensively. Um, so I think that's a major question. And I don't know if I have the answer to that. We're going to have to wait and see. But uh, I think if if Penix can continue his streak, right now he has thrown for eight games of over 300 yards per game. No other Husky quarterback has ever done that. In fact, in eight games' times, he is already third on the list of all-time Husky quarterbacks for 300-plus yard games. That's amazing. So... The only guys ahead of him are Cody Pickett with 14, Jake Browning with nine. So with a a 300-yard game on Friday, in nine games, he will have tied Jake Browning's record for 300-yard games. That's a pretty amazing stat, and and that certainly speaks to how this offense is – I mean, light years different from what we saw last year. Uh, But – I want to go back to the rain, Warren, because I do think that that's kind of best case scenario for the Beavers is like a total monsoon, you know, like not a, a little light rain. I generally, I don't think really bothers teams, you know, especially if it's spotty, but like, if it's, if it turns into like a torrential downpour and it's one of those games where when you turn it on, on TV, you're like having trouble seeing certain things because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's going to, 
favor um, the more physical team with the less experienced quarterback that likes to kind of pound it out. And not to say that the Huskies can't play like a physical brand of, of football either, but I'm just thinking if I'm a Beaver fan, anything mm-hmm. that, that forces that Husky passing game to operate at anything less than peak efficiency is in favor to us. So if I'm a, if I'm a Beaver fan right now, I'm hoping for as much rain as possible just mm. to, to make the conditions a little weirder. Uh, Cause I, I think that that would favor maybe the team that, that doesn't have the high powered passing attack. I do agree that I think the, the rain favors the team with the, the high powered rushing attack, which is really what Oregon state's offense is designed to do. It's designed to, to rush the ball and they do it very well. I'm not sure if I'm convinced that rain helps the lesser experienced quarterback. I would think that a less experienced quarterback, you know, on the road, throwing rain into the environment. I mean, I could see a game where gold Branson could just have a total meltdown because of the rain. You're you're right. But I mean, I do think you're right from the point of like, if it's going to be a, an, an aerial shootout, then that favors the Huskies. If it's going to be a slog and run type of game, that's going to favor the Beavers. Yeah. And that that's that's a good correction. I wasn't necessarily thinking the rain would help the backup quarterback, but more that you're using the quarterback less. You're going to be handing off a lot. Right. Um, kind of taking the pressure off it. But yeah, uh, it'll it'll just it'll be interesting to see kind of how the weather plays an effect uh, as the game goes on. Yeah, another another interesting storyline for me is what the Beavers are going to try to do on on offense. And we talked a little bit about how the rain may impact that game plan but you know will the beavers try to attack washington's glaring weakness which has been the defensive backfield right there is no secret whatsoever as to what is the massive hole in this washington team and it's the back four of this defense they have been abused even california was able to complete deep ball after deep ball in the second half uh, Arizona state with a backup quarterback throws for over 340 yards. So will they go after that Husky weakness, which is the, the pass defense, or are they going to focus on their strength, which is they're running the ball, even though the Huskies have had a very effective running defense this year, um, com- especially compared to, what their running defense was like last year. So, you know, I think to me, that's, that's an interesting dynamic that, um, that these teams are going to have to kind of cat and mouse a little bit. Yeah. I, I, um, I've been impressed with Washington's front against the run this year. Um, And, and for that matter, putting pressure on the opposing quarterback, which is another issue, you know, that I think the Beavers offense will have is protecting that that guy when he's back there. Uh, but I've, I've been impressed with Washington's front against the run. And it's always interesting to me when you have a really good running team match up against a really good run defense, because it's like mm-hmm. something you got to give. Right. And, um, and my guess is, is that it'll, it'll, you know, it'll vary drive to drive that there'll be some right. drives where that offensive line 
really does kind of open some holes and there'll be some drives where we see some backfield penetration and tackles tackles for loss and that it'll be it'll be kind of a you know schematics uh going back and forth on on both sidelines of of kind of trying to get the upper hand because i think i think they're two of the best units in the conference in terms of i think washington's one of the best defensive lines Mm -hmm. and the beavers have one of the best offensive lines so that should be a really fun chess match for sure yeah, and I th- I think um, you're you're probably going to see a lot of really conservative play calling, especially in the first half, as both teams are trying to avoid making the big mistake. Um, I I could see, you know, several three and outs by the Beavers, you know, as they're trying to get establish a running game, not wanting to put their young quarterback in a precarious position. And the Huskies have, you mentioned this, but the Huskies have been very successful with non-mobile quarterbacks, especially getting to the quarterback. They uh, lead the Pac-12 in sacks, or at least they did before going into the bye. Um, Braylon Trice, ZTF, Jeremiah Martin, Boy Tanufi all have multiple sacks uh, for the season. And I can imagine that if uh, the Huskies are able to slow them down on first and second down, third down, they're going to pin their ears back. And they're going to really try to force Goldbranson to beat them through the air. Yeah. So yeah, third, I noticed you go ahead. Well, he, he has been sacked uh, six times on the year and chance Nolan has thrown more passes than Goldbranson was sacked only twice. Now through a lot of interceptions, and right. so it seems to be that that Nolan was getting rid of the ball and maybe throwing into coverage when he shouldn't have been through a lot more interceptions. Gold Branson has been less, uh, you know, has, has done a better job of not forcing the issue passing, but maybe holds still holds on to the ball too long. And as a result, opens himself up to getting sacked uh, more. And, and I definitely think that could, could play into Washington's strengths because that's, that's again, one of the real strengths of their defense. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the you know the interceptions by Nolan, um, and I think that to me is the third question that will really bring a lot of clarity to what happens with this game, and that is, will the Huskies get any turnovers um, in a reigning home game? Because it's it's bizarre to me that with as much pressure as we've been able to get on the quarterback. We have not been able to force turnovers um, at all. And we, we've only had, I, don't, I think we've only had one or two in the last month combined. So we're not turning the ball over on offense, at least not much, but we're not getting turnovers on defense. So we're really not winning the turnover battle in a lot of these games. And in college football, that's the most important statistic that determines w- win or loss. Um, so with the rain, with the, the, the road conditions for the Oregon State Beavers, with a backup quarterback who's fairly new in his, his college football career, um, with the pass rush, will they be able to get some turnovers, whether it's forced fumbles, uh, whether it's interceptions, maybe it's a, a bad snap that uh, you know goes over the quarterback's head, but I think that that you know final factor is going to be really what determines the outcome of this game is can we win the turnover battle? 
Yeah, and again, if you look at Oregon State's two losses, USC and Utah, what was the decisive difference was a massive turnover disparity. And so that certainly seems to be the recipe to have, uh, you know, to take care of these guys. They're generally a well-coached team that doesn't beat themselves. Uh, so it's not a given that they're just going to turn the ball over three times. Uh, but I think you've laid a pretty good case out for why uh, Washington might be able to, to have some, some success there, um, especially, you know, pressuring that backup quarterback in, a, in an environment that he's not going to be used to. So, Mark, you mentioned that uh, tonight the first CFP rankings have come out. Oregon's ranked number eight. Oregon State's ranked number 23. Washington's just outside of the top 25. They're playing a home game on Friday night on ESPN. Uh, presuming that both teams win, you would assume that the Huskies would find their way into the top 25 next Tuesday in anticipation for uh, our game against Oregon on the road. Uh, any Any thoughts about... Uh, you know, what you saw from this first edition of the CFP poll and where you expect to see that kind of shape up over the next week or two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, these things tend to kind of shake out over time and, and fit what they should be. I don't know why Ohio State, say, is ranked number two and like TCU is ranked number seven. And I tend to think if TCU had the name Oklahoma or Texas mm -hmm. on their chest, they'd be up there, you know, much higher. Because if you look at the run that they had, they crushed Oklahoma by 31 points. A state in double overtime who was ranked in the top 10. Then they beat Kansas State, who was ranked in the top 20. Like, I mean, they, they have just been beating teams, but I think it's all kind of a brand thing. It's like, well, they beat two schools from Kansas. How good can those wins be? Uh, you know, they beat Oklahoma, but it's Oklahoma's having a down year. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't really mean much that they just completely annihilated Oklahoma. Uh, so I, TCU is the team that on field has looked a lot better than their, their ranking. Uh, but I also think if TCU wins four more games, they're going to end up where they should be and, and it'll be fine. You know? Um, yeah. Although TCU fans would probably point out to me that uh, the first year of the college football playoff, they got screwed out of the last playoff spot in favor of Ohio state when TCU was ahead of them in the, in the rankings until the final week of the season. And they flipped them with Ohio state. So TCU fans would probably say, Hey, well, there's a reason we're paranoid. It hasn't always worked out for us. Right. Uh, so it, that I get that that may be one thing interesting to monitor. Well, sh surely, I mean, seeing Tennessee come in at number one at eight and zero, I mean, not a surprise when you when you look at their record and what they've done. They're the highest scoring team in college football right now. Uh, they took down you know Alabama, which anytime you do that, that raises eyebrows, but. Josh Heupel and this Tennessee volunteer team, they have taken the college football 2022 season by storm. Yeah, it, it's, it's quite the story. Uh, they've really were off the radar. I think for a lot of people, I, I don't, I'm not even sure they were in the top 25 at the, when the season began, uh, they were not. So 
Yeah, the season that they've had has has been really, really impressive. And now they play Georgia at Georgia this week, which mm-hmm. is going to be a phenomenal environment. Those are, you know, uh, one versus two in the AP poll, one versus three in the in the CFP poll. So, and, and they just took care of Kentucky, who was a top 20 team. They took care of Kentucky 44 to six. So t- mm-hmm. Tennessee is playing at that level where, you know, they're, they're beating they're they're not just beating teams they're beating really good teams really really soundly okay. and it's it's going to be a lot of fun to see if they can hang with Georgia after having already beaten Alabama this year you you mentioned brand name teams and one team that catches my eye in the top 10 is 6 and 2 LSU now they're the only two loss team in the top 10 and one of, you know, I mean, really uh, only six and two team in the top 12. Uh, What have they done to deserve being a top 10 team right now? Yeah. I mean, their season would be a lot more interesting if they had won that season opener against Florida state, right. When Mm -hmm. they they missed the PAT at the very end of the game, they lost by one point. Um, and then their other loss was the 27-point loss to Tennessee, who we've mentioned is a pretty good game. But it seems like most of the love for LSU is just in the last weeks. They they went on the road and they beat Florida by uh, double digits. And then they came home and they played a top 10 undefeated Ole Miss team. And they beat them by 25. And now they host Alabama this week. What a doubleheader in the SEC. You've got Tennessee, Georgia. Mm-hmm. 1230 game and then you've got Alabama and LSU later that night and so you can look at that number 10 ranking and say LSU seems a little a little rank a little too highly well if they beat Alabama the ranking will be deserved and if they don't beat Alabama that ranking's gonna drop you know um so we'll we'll see we'll see if that's uh maybe putting a little too much in that win over Ole Miss uh but personally, I, I think at this point in the season, especially since so much of this is driven by the media, um, I feel like a lot of times the rankings are to help boost ratings, you know, and they want, they know LSU is going up against Alabama and they want to be able to say number 10 LSU against number six Alabama. It just, I really believe that, you know, two top 10 ranked teams from the SEC, I really believe a lot of times they're doing it to try to boost TV ratings. So, Mark, one other thought here on this um, CFP for me, and that is, um, you know, the the Pac-12 has really been, uh, you know, berated and demeaned over the last several years, and in many ways, rightfully so. But here we are, we're, you know, eight, nine games into the season, and there are four Pac-12 teams ranked in the top uh, 12 uh, in the CFP. We've got 14. Oh, excuse me, 14. We've got Oregon at eight. We've got Southern Cal at nine, UCLA at 12, and Utah at 14. And then, as I mentioned, Oregon State also coming in at number 23. Obviously, we know that there are going to be some head-to-head 
competitions that are going to you know influence those the records of those four teams that I mentioned. But this has got to be a really positive sign for the Pac-12 after some really down years previously. Yeah, I think I mean it's it's been a while like that since I can remember this many Pac-12 teams that were ranked this highly. I mean, to have four different teams in the top 15 is is difficult to do for for any conference. And so, uh, and and what's interesting is if you told me at the beginning of the year that the Pac-12 would have four teams in the top 15, five teams in the top 25, I would have figured that Oregon would have had to have beaten Georgia and Utah would have had to have beaten Florida to kind of get some early season Mm. publicity on their side. And the fact that those two teams lost those games uh, and that the Pac-12 still finds themselves in this position really does indicate that, that some people have, have paid attention to the football that's being played on the, on the West coast. So that's nice to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what will be really nice to see is to see the, the Washington Huskies in the top 25 after a win this weekend against the Oregon State Beavers. Uh, and I just think that's going to be a lot of fun going into the Oregon game. So I'm really hopeful that things work out in our favor. Uh, but Mark, as we wrap this uh, bad boy up, we're going to uh, next week, we're planning on doing a double header of a of a podcast pre-game and post-game with some special guests some of our uh, friends who are going to the game with us should be a tremendous tremendous uh time together but mark any final thoughts as we wrap this thing up no uh, I'm, I'm at the point in the season where i kind of want to hit fast forward it's like uh colorado is is it'll be, it'll be good to see the team kind of uh, work some kinks out, but the last quarter of the schedule is so appetizing that I just, I just want to fast forward and, and get there already and get to the game that we've got scheduled for November 12th, but I'm going to savor this. I'm going to savor a really great Friday night game with, with the Beavers and the Huskies and, and watch that free of stress, knowing that one way or another, one of our rivals is going to lose yeah. and, uh, and it should be a great weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for all my dog fans out there, uh, keep your heads up. Let's get this win on Friday and go dogs. And for all my duck fans, go, go ducks. All right. We'll catch you guys next time.